Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. We want to make sure that everybody all around the country has an opportunity to hear what I'm about to say. And I want you in particular to pay attention to its thing because you're the reason we're here tonight. I want you to know you're not going to be a horseman anymore. It's over. Welcome to Total Engagement with me, Matt Kuhn, right here on the MLW Radio Network, brought to you by our good friends over there at WrestleZone.com, the world's most widely read wrestling news site on the planet. It is me, Matt Kuhn, here with your daily dose of wrestling. Total Engagement is here every single day doing short shows. This will be the longest one all week, because what are we doing this week? Back by popular demand after our Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, Thunderbolt Patterson angle, and of course after last week's Paul Orndorff, Hulk Hogan angle, it's the greatest angle ever. This week, Sting becomes a horseman. On Total Engagement with me, Matt Coon. One of the best angles ever started May 7th, 1989 at Wrestle War 1989. That's where I think it started because we have to set the stage a little bit. And going back even a little bit before then, we're in the middle of the Great Flair, Ricky Steamboat trio of awesome matches. And a lot of people don't realize that Steamboat actually won the title and held it through most of that feud. The previous match was a two out of three falls, the Clash of the Champions, but Flair's foot was on the ropes. Now, of course, the entire time, Flair's the heel, Steamboat's the good guy because he's Ricky Steamboat, and with the foot being on the rope, they announced that they're going to have a rematch for the title at Wrestle War. And it was through this rematch and the aftermath, of course, that turned Ric Flair from a bad guy into a good guy. So the first thing that has to happen for this all to work is that Ric Flair has to turn face. He has to do so in a believable fashion. And it's already kind of happening because the fans are getting behind Ric because of these great matches with Ricky Steamboat. And this match at Wrestle War 89 is the end of this series of matches and the end of an era in a lot of ways. At the same time, you had Sting, who had previously had a little taste of the main event spotlight as a headliner at the first Clash of Champions, and obviously an up-and-coming superstar. Charisma, great look, powerful in the ring. And at the time, this budding superstar Sting is holding the TV title and on the same card defends it against the Iron Sheik. Iron Sheik did not last long in WCW. So in the match, Steamboat versus Flair at Russell War 89, 
Flair wins. He gets his title back. There's a show of respect between the two. Because of the controversy of the previous match, and they wanted to make sure there's finally a winner in the Steamboat Flair series, they brought in three judges. In case it went 60 minutes, it's going to go to the judges. It didn't, but the judges were Pat O'Connor, Luthez, and Terry Funk. Terry Funk, of course, had a WWE run a couple years before, was a former NWA champion, but had been out of the scene because he'd filmed a couple movies, such as Over the Top with Sylvester Stallone, which I actually was in as an extra, believe it or not, and as well as Roadhouse. And so this is Funk's return to wrestling, and he makes himself seen to congratulate Ric Flair as Jim Ross interviews him in the ring after this victory. If you don't know what happens, you don't want to miss it. Let's go to the tape. That if it would have gone 60 minutes, that I would have liked to have, uh, I would have voted for Ric Flair because I think that you're the greatest wrestler in the world today. Very nice. Thank you very much, Terry. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Terry. You know, champ, it went past 35, 40 minutes. It was nip and tuck both. You know, I would, I would also like to go ahead, and I'd also like to go ahead and, and be the first one to challenge Ric Flair to that new championship. Well, Terry, uh, I'm honored that you'd like to get in the picture, but as the wrestling fans know, you've been an active, you've been in Hollywood, Sylvester Stallone, while I've been being the world champion. And we got a top 10. We got a top 10 that the world champion is obligated to wrestle. And that's why we are number one. Wait a minute, Wait a minute. Are you, are you really saying that uh, I'm not a contender? No, what I'm saying, Terry, is that you are a great wrestler, but right now you're rubbing shoulders with Sylvester Stallone and not the no, world champion. No, 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 no. I was just asking, do you think that uh, you're I'm not good enough? You're saying that I'm not good enough, no, aren't you, Rick? I'm not saying that at all, Terry. Yes, you are. Me to look you in the eye and tell you that I got a problem with wrestling a guy that's been out in Hollywood for five years. It's the bottom line, but I'm looking at the top ten, and you're no. not in the top ten. No, Rick, Rick, Rick. Let me conclude this by saying thank you. I'm honored, everybody. Win, lose, or draw, Rick Flair. Rick, please, please let me just say one more thing. I was, I was just kidding you about going ahead and and. and wanting to challenge you. I didn't want to really challenge you. I was just kidding you. So, Ed Gummett, let's go ahead. Let's be, yeah. Thanks, Doug. Hey! Yep, Terry Funk shakes Ric Flair's hand, gives him the old sucker punch, beats the hell out of him. It's totally out of the blue, totally unexpected, takes him outside, throws him on the other side of the guard rope, beats him up, and then gives him a very rare, at the time, pile driver on the table. A pile driver on the table in 1989. It's really incredible if you think about it. Flair is hurt. He's super babyface now. And Terry Funk is the worst guy in the entire world. And we now have a heated rivalry created out of nowhere just based off a great idea and a promo. And let's not overlook that promo either. It's as if Terry Funk got in the ring and at first he starts congratulating Rick and Jim Ross and he gets kind of brushed off a little bit. And you can see in his face, he's like, I think I need a little more respect than this. I wonder if I am respected because he's a little hurt. So then he goes, okay, well, it's all good. Hey, man, I'm a former NWA champion. You got respect for me. How about you give me a shot at the title? He's not even 
being considered. So this was Terry Funk, again, a bad guy who believes that he's the good guy. He believes that he has been disrespected. He believes he's been overlooked. How dare they not both turn to him and welcome him to the ring as he does this interview, even though it's Ric Flair's moment. And that is really what makes the Flair attack so believable because you believe it happens spur of the moment. This brings us to Clash of the Champions number seven. Clash of Champions was a series, and at this time, it had a regular kind of rotation where they would do a Clash of the Champions, which was free on TV, on TBS, and they would do the pay-per-view. Then a Clash of Champions, the pay-per-view, the Clash of Champions being used to set up the pay-per-view, and you're going to hear that on this show. Definitely. On this particular one, we had an interview with a very injured Ric Flair. Now, Chill babyface Ric Flair isn't my favorite Ric Flair. We've seen him when he fought Vader, and we see him now. But it is effective because he does create a compelling need to see him again. The fans want to see him again. And will we? Let's take a listen to chill babyface injured Ric Flair. Harder on me, and it's been harder on me than the uh, airplane crash when I broke my back. Uh, Because uh, I knew day one after the airplane crashed that I would make it back. The doctors said that I would be able to at some point in time wrestle again. Now, uh, it's a question mark. To set the stage, this is a sit-down interview in Ric Flair's house by Jim Ross. He's sitting there with a neck brace. And as he said, um, it's a question mark whether I'll come back or not. But it is creating a huge baby face. And at the same time, in this very same card, this Clash of the Champions 7, the main event is this dastardly heel, Terry Funk. Who else could he be taking on? Ricky Steamboat. Ricky Steamboat, who is going to fight for his friend's honor. And in this match, there's an introduction of a couple more characters to this story. And one of them is Gary Hart. Gary Hart was brought in to work with Terry Funk to be Terry Funk's manager. And when Gary Hart manages you, he really manages you. And at the same time, Terry Funk comes with the Great Muda. Terry Funk was already working with the Great Muda. Great Muda's from Japan. Terry Funk is from Texas. So Gary Hart forms the JTEX Corporation. But in this match, it's not Muda who comes. It's Lex Luger. Lex Luger comes and interferes in the match because he wants to be the number one contender for the title. He takes out Steamboat with a chair and they lead a JTEX Lex Luger beatdown on Steamboat, which at the same time creates Luger as another heel and also sidelines Steamboat away from Ric Flair. So now he has a whole feud away from this whole thing with Lex Luger. And now it's very much Gary Hart Muda and Terry Funk as a JTEX Corporation waiting for Ric Flair to come back if he ever does. And surprise, surprise, Flair does come back, coincidentally, at one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year. The Great American Bash 1989 takes place July 23rd, and you've got Flair trying to get his revenge against Terry Funk, who's now with Gary Hart. And at the same time, this new young stud, the great Muda. And Muda, when he came out at the time, was amazing. He was different, super athletic, super cool look. Who else could he take on? But someone else who was like the yin to his yang, Sting, and they're battling over the TV title. And on this Great American Bash, Sting 
defeats Muda in a TV title match, and then you had Flair versus Funk, and they had a hard-fought battle, and the finish is fantastic, because the Funks have a tradition of this spinning toehold, which if you'd never seen it before, you just watched wrestling the last 10 or 20 years, you would be like, what the fuck? It's like a not-completed figure four, but it causes excruciating pain, and Terry Funk is going for it, he's going for it, he's going for it, and Flair reverses out of it, but instead of going for his figure four, he goes for that spinning toehold on Terry Funk. Terry Funk wraps him up for a small package, but Flair rolls it over into his own small package. One, two, and three. He beats him with wrestling, bro. He beats him with wrestling. And of course, everybody attacks Flair, everybody from the JTEX Corporation. It's a beatdown. And the fans, the fans start chanting, you want Sting, you want Sting. Why would you even think that Sting would come to the aid of his former adversary? Why would you even think that? Well, Sting just fought Muda. Flair is facing Funk. They have enemies in common, and who better to make the save than Sting? Sting makes the save. Sting makes the save and the fans go apeshit. And why not? This is what they want to see. Why not have Sting go in there? And now you finally have these two guys together, Sting and Flair, in a believable way. And they really mail the point home because the brawl they have with Funk and Muda after this match, you cannot miss it. If you can see it, see it. Because everybody ends up a bloody mess. Sting's got like no face paint when this thing's over. And then Flair gives a promo looking like the devil himself. Chill Flair is not around anymore. But he says something interesting which really cements the relationship with Sting. He'll be back. He'll be back. Yeah, he wants to get Sting in there. I haven't said thank you in 10 years. Thank you, pal. Now the bottom line is Terry Funk so now we have a couple things we haven't seen in a long time, and they've been done perfectly in this example. We have an alliance of two people who had not been together that fans wanted to see together to take on a common enemy, and we have a blood feud. Flair and Sting against the JTEX Corporation, and they take this blood feud into Clash of the Champions 8, September 12th, 1989. It's Flair and Sting versus the JTEX Corporation, the Great Muda, and Dick Slater? Yeah. Dick Slater. So here's the deal. Of course, Dick Slater's awesome. He's a badass. He's someone, if you squint in your eyes, you might think it was Terry Funk, but Terry Funk had an injury angle. But according to Gary Hart's book, Terry Funk had an infection on his elbow. It was swollen. It was pussy. It was gross. It sounds a lot like the MRSA infection that Moxley had that kept him out of All Out. Now, also in Gary Hart's book, he said that people weren't very pleased that Dick Slater was brought in as far as the fans go, but it works because you still have Gary Hart, you still have Muda, and depending on who you believe, Sting may not have been very happy to see Dick Slater either because as legend would have it, Dick Slater may have shoved Sting's head into a toilet bowl for hitting on Dark Journey at one point in their careers. Although that just may be a rumor. And they have this tag team match at the Clash. 
and of course Sting gets sprayed with the mist and he gets taken out of the match and they double team Flair and Flair's bleeding again like a stuck pig and earlier in that class of champions they showed footage of Terry Funk in the hospital giving a great promo by the way from a hospital bed gotta see it so the last person you expect to see is Terry Funk but there he is Terry Funk comes out and not only does he attack Ric Flair he ties a plastic bag over his head and wraps a cord around it. Like, he literally tries to kill him. He leaves him laying. And Gary Hart also says in his book that he actually walks around the ring, and you can see him walk around the ring, legit, real life, to make sure that Flair's not dead. But what comes out of this is that it appears to me that in a fair fight, maybe, if you could find it in a cage or something like that, they could win, Sting and Flair. But otherwise, they're always going to be outnumbered. It's with these unfair odds in mind that Halloween Havoc's 89 main event was designed. It was a Thunderdome cage match, which is a lot like a Hell in a Cell without a roof. It does kind of go concave at the top, so it kind of arches in so you can't climb out. And you actually can go outside the ring. There's about three feet, I'd say, less room than a Hell in a Cell, but a little bit like a Hell in a Cell. But the intention is for you not to escape. And just in case you wanted to escape or just in case someone wanted to come in and interfere from the outside, they would be electrocuted. It's an electrified cage. So let's make it even more fair. Ole Anderson makes his appearance a couple weeks before, not so much as a physical guy, but a elder statesman type, you know, someone who probably could get physical, but someone to balance out Gary Hart. And we need a referee who will be fair, who will call it down the middle, and who has no vested interest, and maybe even can handle his own if shit gets a little crazy. So, of course... It's the NWA, so they go to Bruno Sammartino. Bruno Sammartino, that's right, was the referee in this match. He was in his fuck Vince McMahon phase of his life, so he was taking the gig, and he does a pretty good job here. The rules are, Ole's got a towel, a white towel, and Gary Hart's got a white towel representing white flags of surrender. If someone was to throw in the white flag for their team after taking so much punishment, then they lose the match. Finish of the matches, Muda loses his mind a little bit, swings wildly at San Martino. San Martino decks Muda. Gary Hart goes in the ring to confront San Martino. Ole decks Gary Hart, and his flag goes flying out of his hands into the face of Bruno, who has no choice but to call the match. The winners flare and sting, but because of the way it's won, Funk has a reason to believe that maybe he did not really lose this match, and maybe they need to settle this. And there's really only one way to settle this. Once and for all, in an I Quit match set up for the next Clash of Champions, Clash of Champions 9, November 15th, 1989. And it's important to note, after this match, Sting, Flair, and Ole walk out together. So maybe the beginning of something, but Sting is definitely now ensconced. Him and Flair are thick as thieves. Ole's part of the system, and we have to settle this. And that takes us to Clash of the Champions 9, where Terry Funk is frustrated. Terry Funk doesn't feel like Ric Flair's better than him. This whole thing's about disrespect. It's not about titles. It's about an I quit match. And Terry Funk has even said that if he loses, he would shake Ric Flair's hand and say he was the better man. 
And if you're a pro wrestling fan, this is a match you should watch. It goes all over the place. It's one of the greatest matches of all time. Certainly one of Terry Funk's greatest matches. I enjoy it personally a lot. And the ending is Terry Funk in the figure four for a long time. But it works. He's selling it. He's an excruciating pain. He's yelling, my leg, my leg, my leg. And the question is, is Ric Flair finally going to get someone to submit to the figure four? with the stakes at such a high level. Gary Hart is livid, they say, that Terry Funk has lost. And is Terry Funk true to his word? Ric Flair calls him out and says, dude, are you gonna shake my hand? Terry Funk. I told you. Shut up. Shake my hand. Gary, I promised the people I went to. I'm gonna shake his hand like I said. You're a hell of a man, Ric Flair. Give it to me better than me. better than me. That's right. The evil, evil wrestling manager, Gary Hart, so disgusted, first of all, that his man lost to Flair, and then second of all, that he dared to shake his hand, attacks Terry Funk, takes him out, and Flair goes to his defense, and then Muda comes in, and then the newest member of Gary Hart's stable, no longer called the JTEX Corporation, I think, we'll talk about that in a second, uh, come out and attack Flair, Sting comes out, they attack Sting, they leave him laying. And the funniest thing to me is that Jim Ross says this over and over again. Listen to this. But the Japanese have attacked Flair! At first I was like, what the hell? The Japanese have attacked Flair? Like, he says it over and over again. And then I realized, oh, okay, because Funk is no longer in line with these guys, and they've brought in the Dragon Master now who is another Japanese wrestler. So the Dragon Master and Muda are keep attacking Flair, but nobody from Texas. So it is just the Japanese. He should have said, just the Japanese have attacked Flair. But he goes, the Japanese, the Japanese have attacked Flair. But still, it's just those two wrestlers, Muda and Dragon Master and Gary Hart. And that's not enough to take out Flair and Sting. So they get the upper hand until Lex Luger comes out again and wallops him with the chair and takes them both out and helps the heart, whatever it's called now, attack Flair and Sting. And what's Luger's motive? Well, first of all, he still is going to be the number one contender. So he still has issues with Flair. And second of all, earlier on in the Clash of the Champions, Bill After came out and gave two trophies out. One to Sting for most popular wrestler and one to Flair for wrestler of the decade. And I think as Luger walks out, he walks to the back, you see what his motives are. He attacks those trophies. Trophies have no business in wrestling. They've got the shortest lifespan of anything in wrestling, trophies. It's also important to note how close Sting and Flair are now. Because when Luger comes out and attacks Sting, Flair looks angry. He looks pissed. And he, he lunges at Luger out of anger for attacking his friend. And at the end, when they're left laying, 
Sting and Flair are reaching out to each other. Like, they're really close here, but they're still always outnumbered. They're still always left laying. Something needs to happen. And no one knows that better than Ric Flair, the man who is on the other end of many outnumbered beatdowns. Then something needs to happen. So, on the December 2nd, WCW Saturday night, Flair tips his hand a little bit to Gary Hart and gives him an invitation. I'm begging you, I'm asking you, I'm challenging you to be here on World Championship Wrestling next week to take me on one more time. If you've got the guts, bring your whole army because next week I've got a surprise of a lifetime for you. And the following week, Ric Flair's true to his word. He takes center stage, center ring, says, Gary Hart, come out here, bring your whole army out here. And we see the latest acquisition by the JTEX Gary Hart Corporation, which is Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, who is an awesome wrestler, but most people do not think he was a very good person. In any case, they surround Flair, and Rick says, hey, I got something for you, and he attacks Muda in the middle of a ring full of enemies. What could he be thinking? I don't like... Why are you putting us... That surprise ain't nothing! Cause look at this! Come on! Hey, hey, hey! That's right. Jim Ross got his fanny out of there because the Andersons are there. The horsemen, the Andersons, Ole, let's forget about that he was just here. But it's pretty cool because Arn Anderson's here now. And now we know shit is about to go down. Ole and Arn come out and with flair, they beat down the JTEX Corporation, sending them going. And it's the beginning of something now because you've got Sting, who's an ally, and you've got the horsemen, who are allies as well. Now... How's that going to be reconciled? And something that wasn't reconciled was behind the scenes. This was supposed to be Tully and Arn. Tully and Arn coming out. Man, that would have been pretty freaking amazing, wouldn't it have been? But of course, Tully had some issues with a failed drug test and some issues leaving the WWE, which made him being hired by WCW hard because I believe they lowered the amount of money they're going to pay him. Tully's like, no, thank you. So it's just Arn. And Ole Anderson now. But the Andersons, that's probably backup enough. And the place goes apeshit. What a moment. And now it appears the sides have been evened. And it's against the backdrop of the sides being even that we head four days later into Starcade Future Shock. Starcade Future Shock was a concept I didn't hate. And I think some people... Looking back on it, remember it pretty fondly. One of those people who does not look back on it fondly in real life is Gary Hart, and we'll talk about that in a second. But Starcade 89, Future Shock, was a round-robin tournament between the four best tag teams, the Freebirds, the Steiners, the Road Warriors, and the Samoan SWAT team, and a round-robin of singles between Sting, Luger, Flair, and the Great Muda. 
and I mentioned Gary Hart not being happy. In his book, he was not happy at all because at this point, Flair was the booker and this was Flair's idea, according to Hart. And when he found out that Muda was going to lose two of the matches, he was so pissed off because Muda had an undefeated streak. He goes, with this undefeated streak, you're going to have him fucking lose two matches. Why don't you have him lose fucking three? And Flair's like, all right, fine, he'll lose three. And that is one reason why Gary Hart does not have a lot of nice things to say about Ric Flair as a booker. But what happens is the final match of the singles competition. Of course, the Road Warriors won theirs, but the Steiners got a win over them, which was another story in itself, which is one reason I liked it. I I thought it worked pretty good. But the final match was Flair versus Sting. The winner of that match was going to be the winner of the tournament. And it, it did get heated, but it was kind of the heat of battle among friends. There was some pushing and some shoving. In the end of the match, Flair goes for the figure four. He's got to learn to keep that head away because Sting grabs it and he gets the pin. One, two, three. And then Arn and Ole come to the ring. Sting just beat Flair for this coveted tournament win. How are they going to react? He's still going back to it. Here comes the Andersons in there. The horsemen are in the ring. Thing. Flair shook his hand. That is class. What's, what's Arn Anderson doing here? You hear that voice that said, hey, come here. And it's Arn Anderson. He looks a little bit irate. And he's calling Sting. He's beckoning him over. And he grabs Sting's wrist. And that's that. Sting is now a horseman. Arn beckons him over, almost looking angry, grabs his wrist, tentatively holds it for a second, holds it in the air, makes the sign of the four horsemen, points to Sting, turns around to the other side, makes the sign of the four horsemen, points to Sting. Sting is now a horseman. And why not? He's proven his mettle the way all horsemen have. And really, there's no reason where Arn and Oli wouldn't like Sting, except the fact he just beat Flair. But... Since he's good with Flair, he's good with them. And at this point in time, Sting is all good. And Sting is a freaking horseman. And for a while, all is good in horseman country, at least for a few weeks. They have matches. They are backing each other up and they're acting as a unit. Arn Anderson is giving these great promos about the four horsemen being better than ever. And truly, as a fan, you can look at it and say, wow, this might actually be the best unit. This young guy Sting in there, if these old guys can teach him the ways, maybe he can be a great horseman as well. And they work together. There's a Sting versus Luger match where Luger grabs a chair, but Flair, and then Flair comes to the rescue. But then Buzz Sawyer comes to the ring, and then Ole and Arn run out. They're working as a unit, but they're a good guy unit. On December 30th on WCW Saturday Night, the Andersons take on Dragon Master and Buzz Sawyer and Sting is outside and they're setting up this big Omni six-man tag because the number one contender to Flair is Lex Luger and Lex Luger's got that match against Flair at the Omni. They're talking about a whole bunch and also there's a six-man tag which is the Andersons and Sting teaming for the first time, they say, against Muda, Buzz Sawyer, and Dragon Master. And all went well at the Omni in early January for the Horsemen. The Andersons and Sting win their match against Gary Hart's crew. And Flair defends against that number one contender, Lex Luger, which means he needs a new number one contender. And who is named the number one contender? Well, of course, the guy who beat Flair in Starcade 
in the Iron Man tournament for Future Shock, that man is Sting. Not only is the number one contender, he takes the match. Now, you might think this could lead to some hard feelings, but apparently it doesn't because here's the horseman talking about it now on January 13th, 1990, explaining taking the match and explaining how they just want to keep it in the family. Pay-per-view for the NWA on Sunday night, February 25th in Greensboro, Russell War 90, the wild thing. Sting will wrestle the heavyweight champion of the world. If it's, if it's nature boy Ric Flair, he's got to be thinking about it. But you guys are training every day. Is this a conflict of interest whatsoever? No conflict whatsoever. The bottom line is, I use that expression many times, Sting is one of the greatest athletes in professional wrestling today. He deserves a title shot. And if I'm the world champion on the 25th of February in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is just like my hometown, Sting will walk it out. He has proved to the world that he's this kind of guy. And the bottom line once again is, some may come and some may go, but this is the symbol of the 90s. And Sting, you're a respected man. You've been my friend, pal. If it's you and I on the 25th, we're going to tear the joint down. Well, in Woo! my opinion, Rick, I think it is going to be you. But to be honest with you, when you start saying, Sting's got to walk that aisle, it makes my heart go ba-boom, 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 just like it was about two years ago. But this time I know there's no problem because, to be honest with you, I said, Rick, we don't have to do it like this. And before I could finish my sentence, both the Andersons and Rick said, no way, Sting. You don't have to worry about a thing because everything is cool. And besides that, we want to keep this world title in the family. So whether it's Flair as the world champion or Sting as the world champion, it's going to be in the family. And I've never been in a family before, and it feels kind of good, to be honest with you. It's a family tradition here, Oli. Only the best are in the horseman. What better than to have a man like Sting? What better to have a match Sting and Flair? World's champion? Only champions are horsemen, right, Arn? No matter who wins the match, the bottom line is we're all family, and you've earned it, pal. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the four horsemen have made their statement, and we'll make some more. Let me just say one thing, Jim Ross. The wrestling world needs to be aware of one thing. We don't let anybody down. Sting's with us, and once again, we are kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing, limousine-riding, jet-flying, son of a gun. And ladies, where do you get a load of this? Fans, as I said, the horsemen have made their statement and we will. So in this interview, everything appears to be fine. I don't know if there's any subtext here or even if they knew what was going to happen here in real life. But there is a couple of moments where you see kind of Ole and Arn look down while Sting's talking. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure if they're looking down because their characters know that maybe Sting should have taken that match. Or maybe they're looking down because they're worried about what Sting is going to say in his promo because he wasn't exactly the most measured person in his promo. And he's really saying it a lot. I'm with the horsemen. We're all good. But I think canon or storyline might be that at this point in time, we're still a couple weeks before the clash where we have the big moment with the horsemen and Sting. At this moment in time, Flair, perhaps behind the scenes, storyline wise, that is not in real life, is still with Sting. This is my buddy. This is my guy. And the Andersons are 
maybe trying to convince Flair, hey, this guy needs to go because he did beat you. And the title is everything. That's canon. The title is everything to the horseman. Nothing's more important than Flair having that title. And you can't imagine, really, it means the same thing to the horseman for Sting to have it as he did Flair have it. But right now, it appears like everything is cool de la. A matter of fact, the next week, Sting is a promo. Just let everybody know that he feels good about this match. The past couple months have been really unbelievable for the Stinger because, number one, I win the tournament. I can't believe all the competition. I still came out on top. Number two, I get put into one of the most elite groups in professional wrestling, the Four Horsemen. I never thought I'd see the day. And now, last but not least, I get the chance to wrestle the world champion one more time, Ric Flair versus Sting. I've talked to the horsemen. They've made me a horseman. There's going to be no qualms with all of us. It's just going to be one heck of a match. And if I win, Rick, you're going to shake my hand. If you win, I'll shake yours. It's as simple as that, really, and it's a settled issue. And not only that, we might be looking too far ahead, Horseman, because we have a big six-man cage match, Sting, Arn Anderson, and Flair versus Buzz Sawyer, Dragon Master, as well, of course, the Great Muda, coming up on the Clash of the Champions, which takes place, of course, before the pay-per-view. And these guys are working as a unit. There's even a Sting... Arn Anderson tag team match. There's promos where Sting talks about how he's having a party with the horsemen. There's all kinds of cool stuff going on. And I can't impart to you enough if you weren't around at the time. These horsemen were pretty cool. And because the horsemen were so cool, like I did not see this coming at all. I got to be honest with you. But if you look at it now, it's like if the horsemen win their match, their cage match at the Clash of Champions, and then Sting and Flair, somebody wins the title, who's going to feud with them? Who's left? So looking at it now, I can see it. But at the time, these horsemen look awesome. They look like they were going to be the coolest thing going, and they're baby faces, and everything's awesome. And that brings us to the fateful night of February 6, 1990. Fateful in more than one way. Clash of the Champions 10, Texas Shootout. Why not just go full fucking circle here? The show starts with Terry Funk as the interviewer in the ring, and out come the horsemen. Now, I'm going to break down this segment, and at the very end of the show, I'll just play the whole thing in case you want to hear the whole thing without my stupid voice on top of it. So here we go. Now, as they walk to the ring, I just want to say they look pretty awesome. Flair's got his suit. Arn Anderson's wearing a white shirt tucked in. Ole's got a leather jacket. Sting's got some kind of weird, cool Sting shirt on. It's black. And they look like a unit. Their music is awesome. Four fingers in the air, walking to the ring. And tough is an attitude. I like to think that I have that attitude. But I know that you horsemen have it. I know that you have it, Ole. Let me ask you a question. You want to just do something and hang on that microphone, or you want me to hang on to it? Let me just say one thing, Terry. Okay, so right there, Ole has a complete different demeanor than we've seen from him lately. And I always thought it was kind of a dick move, like Ole coming out and punking out Terry Funk, like going, hey, bitch, do you want to hold the microphone or do you want me to hold it for you? But let's just say it's storyline where Terry Funk is the guy who Pildro Flair through the table. So maybe there's some harsh feelings. Flair grabs the microphone. The horsemen are in the ring. They're kind of surrounded. I like this about Oli, and I love this about the scene, is that they're not looking for the hard camera. The hard camera's looking for them. And I think it pulls off the realism. Let's go back. When we have an opportunity to get together on national television, we always make 
statement. And tonight, once again, the horsemen are going to make a statement. And on behalf of the horsemen, the spokesman, Ole Anderson, has a few words. We want to make sure that everybody all around the country has an opportunity to hear what I'm about to say. I just want to point out one thing that really works for me in this. Again, not looking for the hard camera, but they're literally in a circle and Ole has his back to the hard camera. And it brings kind of a feeling like this is a meeting of some type. And I want you in particular to pay attention to its thing because you're the reason we're here tonight. I want you to know you're not going to be a horseman anymore. It's over. No more horsemen for the state. Yeah, don't close your mouth a second. I'm going to explain something to you. I want everybody to listen real close and you listen real close. Okay, so right there, the fans react. Sting shoots a look over to Flair and Sting is incredulous. He's like, what the hell's going on? What is all this? When Rick called me and called Arn to come in here, it was for one reason. And the reason he called us in here was to get rid of you. But I tell you, now just be quiet. Just, there's, there's three of us standing here and there's one of you. Just wait a second. Now that's when he really shoots a look at Flair. And it appears at this moment, Flair's not all in on this because Sting looks at Flair and Flair looks down, avoiding the gaze of the guy who he's been through all these battles with. He has fought toe-to-toe, side-by-side in all these blood wars with. And Sting tries to look at Flair and go, what the hell's going on? And Flair won't even meet his gaze. One thing that nobody looked for and nobody could figure was when you jumped in and helped Rick against this guy we held off a little later in the iron man contest we came in that ring and we were ready to stick your head in the sand again and as we came through the ring rick gave us this eh, pay attention rick gave us that sign sting makes kind of an exasperated motion puts his arms behind his head like what dude and and fucking Oli just doesn't miss a beat he's like hey pay attention and waved us off you were spared for the second time. And then something that nobody would have ever dreamed could happen, happened when you became one of us, a horseman. And you were a good horseman, no argument about it. You're a great wrestler, you're a tough, strong kid, but you did the one unforgivable thing that we can never forget. You know what that was? When you signed that match to meet Ric Flair for the world title on February 25th, you signed your death warrant. Are you listen now? So that's it. That's the crux of it. It doesn't matter anything else. Sting anybody in the Horseman. If you turn on the Horseman, and in this case, it takes the shape of signing that match. That's it. And Sting starts yelling, hey, what, what's going on? Like he's an equal. And Ole raises his voice even louder. Arn meets his meets Sting's gaze, and you can tell it might get ugly. I'm going to tell you what I said to Rick. We all agreed we should just stop you right now. But Rick says, no, no. Now, he helped me one time. We let him live one time, but on one condition. And the condition is this. You go to the promoter. 
you go to Mr. Jim Ross or whoever you got to talk to and you tell him that you're going to cancel that contract with this man. Wait a minute, get over here, Pat. You just listen. You're taking it too far. No, you listen to me and you listen real good. Anybody, even a blind man, can see there's three of us and there's only one of you. We're going to spare your life. You got about two hours to. Ole looks at his watch, even though he knows how long Clash of the Champions is. I think it's hilarious. And I think it just goes to show Ole, when he says shit, you believe it. And he is in the moment. Make up your mind what you're going to do. And I'm telling you right now, it's only because of his nice kindness that we're going to let you live right here. Two hours, you make up your mind, you go tell Ross, you tell everybody in the world on this national TV that you're going to give up that chance at the world title. You understand? So the plan is the horsemen were going to come out and beat the crap out of them, but Flair stuck up for him. So Flair's still kind of being soft here. Arn Anderson looks like he's ready to pounce. Flair's still being soft, but the story is that Flair's the one who said, hey, 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 let's give him two hours. If he doesn't back out of the match then, then we stomp him down. And Sting doesn't look like he's having any of it. And he's turning to Flair now. Not a chance. Sting, I bought you a little time a because Whoa, of what you got. Nah, you're too easy. The whole deal is this. You got two hours to make up your mind. Okay, that's my favorite is that Flair grabs the mic and he tries to explain it to him. And then Ole just goes, you're too easy. And just grabs it back. Ole is living this part right now. There's no acting going on. He's believing every word he says. And you're no longer a horseman. And if we ever see you again, you're not going to be quite so lucky as you are tonight. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So Oli turns away and Rick goes to grab Oli's jacket and who hits Sting with a sucker punch? It's fucking Ric Flair. Ric Flair hits him, Arn grabs him, Oli lunges for him, the beatdown starts. That sound you heard was Flair slapping Sting. The Andersons are holding his arms back across the ropes, and Sting is getting slapped, and now Flair is grabbing Sting's hair, lifting his face up skyward so he can yell at him. I tried to tell you! I want you some time! Now do the smart thing! Smart up! Get out of this business! This is the greatest thing oh. I've ever seen in my life. Oh, this is pathetic. Ric Flair, absolutely pathetic. He gave the guy a chance. Well, he gave the guy a chance. Yeah, you're a big chance, fans. We're gonna, we'll be right back. This can- the last thing you heard was a slap that he slapped him, and fucking Flair's on fire too. He says, get out of this business, get out of this contract, and get out of my life. And it still sounds like he's sorry about this. It really does. It sounds like, I'm trying to help you, you dumb motherfucker, but you won't listen, and now you're gonna get beat up, and I hate for this to happen because there is some good in me, but this is who I really am. I'm a bad guy, and I feel bad about this, but at the core, I am a horseman. The title's important. Get out of this contract, get out of the business, get out of my life. And let me tell you, when that happened, the crowd is booing, 
everybody is upset. Everybody watching at home is surprised and shocked. Even if you saw it coming, it's done so well. And as history has shown, that kicking Sting out of the Horseman led to Sting later that month defeating Ric Flair for the title at... No, that didn't happen. Here is what happened. At the end of the night, you still had the Horseman versus the Gary Hart heel team. But no one really cared, and people started cheering for Muda and Buzz Sawyer because they were so mad at the Horseman for kicking Sting out. Sting runs down to the cage and starts climbing it and blows out his fucking knee for real. So this thing has been set up beautifully all the way. And man, how hot would that have match been? How hot would that have match been if it happened? But it couldn't happen because Sting blew out his knee. And if you hear Sting talk about it, as you may have heard on the Ric Flair podcast that he used to do with Conrad, no one there knew that he actually hurt his knee. There was no way for him to say it because there's a pull apart. Flair's jumping on him. He's jumping on Flair and his knee is fucked. And so he is in total pain. He's limping. He's hurt. The injury happened. They were able to play it off and say it happened at the hands of the horseman. But Sting would be gone for a while. Lex Luger took his place at Wrestle War. He didn't win, but he turned face. At Capital Combat in May, they had a thing where Sting was thrown into a metal cage. He still wasn't ready to wrestle, but luckily he was rescued by fucking RoboCop. And then comes the 1990 Great American Bash. And Sting finally gets his revenge, finally gets his big title, gets his big moment in the red, white, and blue. And that is the greatest angle I ever saw. It is the greatest angle I ever saw, as is the first one of these I did in the one I did last week. And completely coincidental to this, you have to believe me, I promise, I'm not going to lie to you. But StarCast, coming up in November in Baltimore, is going to have a lot of these people. And it's going to have Sting in the red, white, and blue for photo ops. Lex Luger, the great Muda. They're really celebrating this 1990 year, it appears. They're also going to have RoboCop. So make sure to go to StarCast.com and check all that out. It's going to be a fun time. I'll be there too. If you like what you heard today, we're going to do these kind of shows as often as we can, but make sure you listen every single day to Told Engagement. It's short 10, 8-minute, 12-minute shows talking about the latest stuff going on in wrestling. It's your daily dose of your wrestling fix here on Total Engagement with me, Matt Kuhn. Thank you for listening to this very special episode of Total Engagement. I hope you enjoyed it. Give me some feedback on Twitter, at Matt Kuhn Music, and make sure to go ahead and go to your podcast platform. Subscribe right now. Download us on all your devices, because most of our shows are so small, they don't take up any room at all, and you want to be able to catch us every single day here on Total Engagement with me, Matt Coon. There you see the old fucker in the ring right there. Hello! I want to say one thing right now, that there's two things that's going to be hard to beat in 1990. One of them is World Championship Wrestling because it's here to stay. And the other one is the Horseman. All four of them.
Coach Award for the man dressed in black. The horsemen are so physical, but they are the elite group in our sport. And now let's go back down to Terry Funk. is an attitude. I like to think that I have that attitude, but I know that you horsemen have it. I know that you have it, Oli. Let me ask you a question. You want to just do something and hang on that microphone, or you want me to hang on to it? Let me just say one thing, Terry. When we have an opportunity to get together on national television, we always make a statement. And tonight, once again, the horsemen are gonna make a statement. And on behalf of the horseman, the spokesman, Ole Anderson, has a few words. We wanna make sure that everybody all around the country has an opportunity to hear what I'm about to say. And I want you in particular to pay attention to it, Sting, because you're the reason we're here tonight. I want you to know you're not gonna be a horseman anymore. It's over. No more horsemen for this thing. Yeah, don't close your mouth a second. I'm going to explain something to you. I want everybody to listen real close and you listen real close. When Rick called me and called Arn to come in here, it was for one reason. And the reason he called us in here was to get rid of you. But I tell you, now, just be quiet. There's, there's, there's three of us standing here, and there's one of you. Just wait a second. One thing that nobody looked for and nobody could figure was when you jumped in and helped Rick against this guy. We held off. A little later, in the Ironman contest, we came in that ring, and we were ready to stick your head in the sand again. And as we came through the ring, Rick gave us this, uh, pay attention. Rick gave us that sign and waved us off. You were spared for the second time. And then something that nobody would have ever dreamed could happen, happened when you became one of us, a horseman. And you were a good horseman, no argument about it. You're a great wrestler, you're a tough, strong kid, but you did the one unforgivable thing that we can never forget. You know what that was? When you signed that match to meet Ric Flair for the world title on February 25th, you signed your death warrant. Oh, you listen now. I'm gonna tell you what I said to Rick. We all agreed we should just stop you right now, but Rick says, no, no. Now, he helped me one time. We let him live one time, but on one condition. And the condition is this. You go to the promoter, you go to Mr. Jim Ross or whoever you got to talk to, and you tell him that you're going to cancel that contract with this man. Wait a minute, get over here, Pat. You just listen. You listen to me, and you listen real good. Anybody, even a blind man, could see there's three of us and there's only one of you. We're going to spare your life. You got about two hours to make up your mind what you're going to do. And I'm telling you right now, it's only because of his nice kindness that we're going to let you live right here. Two hours, 
you make up your mind, you go tell Ross, you tell everybody in the world on this national TV that you're going to give up that chance at the world title. You understand? Not a chance. Sting, I bought you a little time a because of what you've done. Nah, you're too easy. The whole deal is this, you got two hours to make up your mind, and you're no longer a horseman, and if we ever see you again, you're not going to be quite so lucky as you are tonight. Wait a minute, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Hey, wait a minute, I want to go. Come on, look at this. I tried to tell you. This is pathetic. Ric Flair! Absolutely pathetic. He gave the guy a chance. Well, he gave the guy a chance. Yeah, you're a big chance. Fans, we're gonna, we'll be right back. This continues live. Don't go away. We'll be right back. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.